Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is a beautiful Thursday morning. Welcome to Everything Cooperative. My name is Vernon Oaks, and this program is brought to you by the National Cooperative Bank, giving you the information that you might want to know about so you can understand cooperatives, the benefits of cooperatives. And we're celebrating this year the 100th anniversary of NCBA, the National Cooperative Business Association. They got started in 1916. And today, we have on the line with us Mrs. Margaret Lund, L-U-N-D. Good morning, Margaret. Good morning, Vernon. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. How about you? Uh, I woke up this morning. I'm fantastic. Sun's up, I'm up. Hey, you're up. We're good. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the International Cooperative Alliance has a motto that cooperative enterprises build a better world. And this month, we're celebrating Women's History Month. At least that's what NCBA is celebrating uh, in their 100th year. And um, so a question for you, being a woman, do you have any sense how cooperatives have helped women? And it seems like there's a lot of women in the cooperative movement, like yourself. Mm-hmm. Do you have any sense why that's so? Well, I, I think there's lots of reasons. I mean, it goes back to the Rochdale Pioneers. They were one of the first organizations that let women be members, organizations of their type. And uh, I think that the democracy and, and equity and equality all speak to um, a wide participation by a wide number of people, all kinds of people. And um, that's one of the great things about co-ops, I think, is, is how they work for um, many different people in many different situations. I know in, um, in other countries, uh, agricultural co-ops have been incredibly important for women farmers. Um, in developing countries, uh, they've been important here, all kinds of, of ways, and not just typical. I mean, you know, you think of daycare co-ops or, or things like that, but also uh, consumer co-ops. Um, lots of women, I mean, farm co-ops, you think uh, those are farm families and, and women farmers that are very actively involved. Um, and a number of those co-ops. So I, I just think that, and, you know, the idea of working together um, for a common good is something, um, you know, that makes sense to, to lots of people, including lots of women. So how how did you get involved in co-ops? Well, that's, that's a good story. I'm a, um, a, I was, I was literally, I was like born into it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> My dad, I grew up in Minnesota, and my dad was involved very early on in the on the board of um, what was then called um, Group Health, which was an early uh, healthcare co-op. It's it's still around. It's now um, one of the largest providers of of care in Minnesota. It's called Health Partners, um, and it, it's no longer a co-op because in Minnesota all, all health plans have to be nonprofit, so they switch their status. But it still is a consumer governed board and way back when, and um, they started out really as wanting to be a co-op. It was uh, a really interesting story about uh, a credit union guy and an ag co-op guy, and 
uh, and somebody else thinking there's got to be a better way to do healthcare and and kind of creating a consumer governed organization. So my dad was on that board really early on um, from the early 60s. And uh, then he worked for them the last 10 years of his career. And he was on the co-op, early co-op bank board. He was on the um, subcommittee of the early co-op bank that eventually became the National Co-op Bank, the Development Corporation, and now Capital Impact Partnership. So um, so I remember driving, you know, we'd drive way out of our way to go to the co-op gas station. I you know, remember mm-hmm. when I was in college, I went to college on the East Coast, and my dad was in New York for a, a co-op bank meeting. And so he invited me. I was going to school in Philadelphia, um, take the train up to New York, and all my friends said, great, you know, what did you do with your dad? Did he take you to a Broadway show? Did he buy you some shoes? You know, what did you do? And I was like, well... We went to visit uh, Co-op City in the Bronx, so we, we went mm-hmm. to visit all these housing co-ops in New York, and that's what my dad took me to do uh, for fun in New York City. So it was kind of a part of part of my growing up, or part of the background. So I, you know, I think I always knew about it, and then I, you know, I, I first chance I got, I, I took a job that in, that was involved in the co-op sector, and I had that job actually for quite a long time. I ran a loan fund for co-ops in the upper Midwest for about 16 years. So I was a small business lender to co-ops and that was, I, I really got, I got to work with lots of different kinds. So that's, that's kind of my origin story in the co-op movement. Cause it just kind of grew up around those ideas. So somewhere when I was uh, researching you, I found out that in your education though, you were working on a master's or something and either you wanted to study co-ops, but advisors were leaning you toward, was it capitalism they were leading you toward? Yeah, so I, I um, that was probably in a, a, an article I wrote, probably for GEO. Yeah, so, you know, one of the things, um, one of my interests, particular interests in uh, the co-op world are the cooperative movement in northern Italy. And part of the reason is because when I was in school, I took a, you know, class in development economics, and I, you know, I remember there's there's this chart that they show you, and it's the the Gini coefficient, which is a, a measure of inequality, um, and then a you know economic development measure of some sort on the other axis. And uh, you know, I remember the the teacher just being emphatic that you know what you, you that that inequality must increase as a as a country or region becomes uh, more successful economically. It just it just naturally happens. It has to happen that you know, wealth is more inequally distributed. I mean, that's just one of the costs of development. And I remember just thinking... Wait a minute, let me, like, understand, let me understand this. Yeah. So he's saying to you in the class that as the economics increase, as, yeah, as like more wealth advances, happens... Yeah. Right, so it was a development economics class, so he was talking about developing countries, so he says... But you're just naturally going to have some people with lots of money and more and more people with less money, so this this divide happens naturally. Yeah, that was more or less the the thing. The, the okay. chart there's like a you know x one axis x axis like a mm-hmm. and then it's just this diagonal that goes up. So the more the country develops, the higher the level of inequality. That's just you know kind of a fact, right? Mm. And I thought, well, that's kind of too bad, right? Because <laughs> I wish there you know I wish that wasn't true. I mean, isn't there a way that we could all do better when we all do better? And so 15 years ago. Um, you know, I started, I mean, I was always interested in co-ops. I was looking at different things. And, and I found out that actually in um, in northern Italy, in the Emilia-Magna region of Italy, they've, they were very poor at the end of World War II. They were one of the poorest regions in Italy. And they had a, a very vibrant 
uh, cooperative movement that was the preferred way of, of doing economic development in this region. And then they've just um, turned that whole sort of rule <laughs> on its head because they're one of the most um, prosperous per capita income-wise, prosperous regions in the EU, but they're also one of the most equitable. So, so this this part, um, you know, this regional economy, you know, they did both. They didn't know they couldn't do it, so they did it, right? So they said, okay, we're going to all do well and grow our economy and, and, you know, have high per capita income and, and all that kind of stuff, but we're also going to have a really good distribution of wealth. And so, um, and the co-ops were, were a central part of how they did that. I mean, there, you know, it's a longer story than that, but, um, and there's, there's many players that deserve credit. They have a, you know, extremely um, efficient and uh, um, uncorrupt uh, private public public sector government. I mean, they have very effective government. There's there's lots of reasons, but the co-ops are really essential, and they still are just a, a major powerhouse in the economy. There, all kinds of co-ops, I mean, consumer co-ops, lots of worker-owned co-ops. So manufacturing, industrial companies, really large companies. Some of them are owned by the workers as a cooperative. And um, so that has had all of these really, really good effects, not just for the people. I mean, I think one of the important things is it's not just for the members of the co-op. It's had really good – the co-ops have done really good things for their members, which is great because that's what co-ops should do. But they've also had really important um, and very positive economic effects in the broader economy for people um, that aren't members, for everybody that lives in that region. So, um, so that's one of like, the things that I've just always been fascinated. I was just back there actually in a, uh, writing then a research, um, project to write a paper. I was just there in December, um, really on some of these same issues because I just think it's such an important story and something that, that, um, people should know about that there really is a way for us to, to all do better and us all to do better at the same time. And um, and I think, you know, I don't know that it's not the only way to do it through co-ops, but that's the way that they have done that very successfully. So you're talking about Mondragon. No, not about Mondragon. Actually, about um, about northern Italy, so Emilia-Romagna region. So Mondragon is the other place in the world where there's a really vibrant co-op economy. They're really, uh, actually, Quebec, Mondragon in Spain, and Emilia-Romagna in northern Italy are really kind of the three places in the world where there's really... Um, Deep commitment to co-ops and, and a, a very sophisticated infrastructure of co-ops. So you say nor- northern Italy, mm-hmm. Mondragon, or the Basque region of Spain. Yeah. And where else in, in Canada? In Quebec in Canada, yeah. Okay. They have some really, um, really interesting laws and, you know, policies and stuff and, a, and very good results from those as well. Well, we have to take our first break, but I want to try to summarize for me and the audience out there. What I got from you is in developing countries, this inequality where there's some people that make a lot of money and most people make a little money. It sounds like from that definition, you're talking about the U.S. Uh, 1% of the people makes over 60% of the new money and 99% of the people, they can get to share 40% of the money. So you get this huge the uh, cabin, this differences of, of wealth creation. But in certain parts of the world, Italy, Spain, and Quebec, Mondragon in the area of Spain, you get where everything rises and there's equality. Everybody in the boat gets part of that rise. It's not so inequality. Is that sort of summing up? Yeah, they get part of it. It's not like everybody gets exactly the same. It's not a socialist economy, but but it's much, much more equal distribution than we have or than most countries have. All right, we'll take our first break. Thank you so very much, Mark. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. 
1450 WOL. Information is power. Welcome back. This is Vernon Oaks on Everything Cooperative. WOL's motto is information is power, and the National Cooperative Bank is sponsoring this program to give you information about cooperatives and how they can help your community, how you can solve community problems with this cooperative enterprise. But, you know, I found out real early on, Papa Sin was one of my first guests October two years ago, two and a half years ago, who said, you know, you have to put action to the information. You just can't get information and get power. If you take the information that we're giving you here today, Margaret Lund is on the phone with us. Uh, we're going to be doing more talking with her. I've already learned something from her this morning. And if you put the action to the power, to the information, that's where the power comes from. So, Margaret. Mm-hmm. You've worked 20 years with small businesses giving out money. What have, what kind of businesses, cooperative business, have you been working with? Well, let's see. Um, when I worked at North Country Development Fund, we, we had a lot of um, food co-ops in the Twin Cities. So I did a lot of lending um, to the food co-ops. And that was really uh, interesting to watch that whole sector grow and, and people really begin to appreciate what, the co-ops were bringing in terms of um, natural foods and sustainable agriculture and their relationships with farmers and um, lots of the things that the food co-ops have been doing for decades are now becoming much more mainstream and something that um, that regular people are deciding <laughs> that, that they think is important too. Um, so that was, that was a lot of fun. I did a lot of work in that sector. Um, one of the most um, famous companies or co-ops that that we loaned to um and i think the first loan that that we made was back in 1988 even before my time there was to organic valley are you familiar with organic valleys of um, dairy co-op i am just by yeah. name yeah so they're um they're a really really now really large um operation but at the time in the late 80s they were you know kind of seven farmers and um, our little small business loan fund made them a loan for a truck, <laughs> and they bought a truck because uh, they were, you know, hauling some stuff. And so it was a it was a very small operation, and then um, it just grew and grew. And and obviously the idea of organic dairy resonated with many consumers, um, also with with businesses that that use the dried milk as inputs to their, you know, like uh, packaged organic products. So that business, I can't remember how big they are now, but they're just they're really, really um, large company now with lots and lots of farmers. Um, but they're still a co-op, so they're still governed as a co-op. And, and interestingly, they're still uh, most agriculture with the government, you know, are really large farms like industrial farms. In Organic Valley, the last time I talked to them about this, they said their average herd size was still about 40 cows. So they're a really large business, but they're still governed by a bunch of you know really small to medium-sized farmers um, who are doing organic dairy. So that's really, it's really heartening to see um, the success of, a, of, a, of an idea like that and um, see it really take off. And, and that's really a lovely company. They, they're very much a co-op. They're very interested in, in they really embrace their co-op history and, and um, the, you know, the democracy that, that happens at the board level where people govern so that was a really that was a really fun business to see that go. So we did we did lots of things. We we did some um, lending to worker co-ops as well, worker-owned co-ops, and I've I've done some more work in that area since then. Um, we did some small housing co-op loans. 
so we we worked across the sectors, and that was one of the things that was so much fun was just to see how many situations that a, a co-op can really make a difference. Back to the food co-ops a minute. <clears throat> one thing that I found very interesting in in the, all of the problems in Flint, Michigan, they did not have or do not have a grocery store. Mm-hmm. And so I think we call that a food desert. That's what I've learned. Right. And um, so I've been trying to reach out to the only contact that I know up there to see if we could get a conversation started about getting people to understand what a food co-op is, a uh, food hub, a uh, buying club, perhaps to start and to see if we could get the residents there to solve that problem. Because one of the things that I like, one of the values of co-op is self-help, mm-hmm. where self-responsibility, where people in the community would solve their own problem. Do you have any advice on what, how we might be able to get that conversation started to get them to understand about food co-ops and how they could get together and get resources to solve their own problem? Yeah, well, you know, the I mean, the food co-op... Um, Movement has some resources itself. There's a food co-op initiative, um, which is an organization that just helps startups, just helps new co-ops. And so they have a lot of good information on their website, and they have a, there's a conference that happens um, once a year that's just for beginning food co-op startup ones called Up and Coming, Up and Running. So, um, so those are some, you know, there's some resources from the conventional food stores. And then, you know, more and more you, you're seeing, um, or we're all seeing, food co-ops um, projects that are starting up in, in, um, in food deserts and in urban areas that are really um, um, desperate for kind of staple, good, fresh, healthy food. And so um, they're not alone in that, in that quest. And um, there's a number, I mean, none of these, you know, projects are super old, but, um, but there's a number of them going on and really uh, good people behind some of them, um, so I'd say that there's some good peers to reach out to other people that are struggling with the same um, kinds of questions because, uh, you, you know, they need to find, I mean, there's lots of technical issues. They have to find their supplier and who's going to do a market study for them so they can get the loan. And, um, and I mean, the National Co-op Bank has been much more active in lending in, in this area recently, so they're, they're a good resource too. So I'd say there's lots of people in the co-op movement that, that could be helpful in that kind of situation. I mean, grocery stores are hard. They're really a rough business. There's only about a 1% to 2% you know, profit margin at best. And so um, it's, it's not a way to, to get rich. Um, and there's, there's not a lot of room for error. So that's one of the things that just make the projects tough. Um, but that, you know, lots of tough things are, are worth doing. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it just makes it, it's a, it makes it important to get the right kind of technical help so, um, so people can make sure that... Um, you know, that their project is going to be able to make enough money to pay all their expenses and stuff just because it, it's a little hard to do that. But, um, but I, you know, it's really the, one of the growing areas of, of food co-ops is this idea of, of addressing food deserts because um, it just makes so much sense when you look at matching people's needs with a structure that can meet those needs. The, the co-op is just an obvious um, choice. I think we have a food desert right in southeast Washington, D.C., too. That's a whole other story or the same story. Um, yeah. And, and your role as in North Country, you would come in and, and help sort of put this all together when they would some, they would ask for financing first, and then you would come in and sort of decide if they could do it or tell them how to get their 
marketing project done, research done? What would you yeah, do? Yeah, so I don't work there anymore. So I guess I don't, I'm not, I don't have to talk to see what. But I know they have actually still been active in doing food co-op projects. So yeah, you would. Um, you know, one of the things you do, and and any, um, in fact, community lender or um, they're called community development financial institutions (CDFIs). So um, so the one I worked for that we were a CDFI, but there's CDFIs all over the place, all over in every, um, all over the country. So that's also an important thing that, uh, um, that a you know project or community they should look up on the website of the CDFI fund, um, which is part of the Department of Treasury, and find a CDFI that's in their area because lots of CDFIs that's what they specialize is doing projects that maybe banks aren't um, going to do or a bank's not going to do a lot of the project, and so yeah, you find yourself a community development lender, and they're really um, often really I mean they all have different specialties, so not every one of them would be a business lender, for example, and do a food co-op project, but lots of them do. And um, yeah, you'd, you'd help kind of help people put their package together. So not really, not be the developer of the project, but um, when you're a, a lender like that or a small business, particularly a community-based lender, you just, you know, you know um, what are some companies other people have used for market studies or who's been really successful in this way or um you know, and you see a lot of projects, and you say, you know, what you really need to look at is this particular thing or that particular thing, because that's where other people have had trouble. And so, I think it's always um, really helpful to have that kind of community-based, a CDFI lender in these kinds of projects, because they just have a, a much more kind of different orientation than um, the most banks. Not all banks; some banks have a really good community orientation too. But um, but the CDFIs, because they're nonprofits, and they, they tend to have staff people who come out of community organizing and community development, and um, and also and you know kind of have the sort of skills and patience to work with projects that are maybe not really standard kinds of projects. Skill and patience, yes. Okay, yep. I like that. <laughs> As a matter of fact, NCB Capital Impact, I think they call themselves Capital Impact Partners now. Uh-huh. They did a lot of work in Detroit. They're a national CDFI. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Back, uh, principles, um, the co-op principles, you hit on one of them, and that's volunteer and open membership, which is one of the reasons that women could be so much involved in the early co-ops and the co-ops today. And we had a lady on uh, a couple of weeks ago talking about um, credit unions and why there are more women uh, leading uh, credit unions. Um, they're smaller, for one, and she said a lot of men would probably go to other things, and so women can end up getting there. But the volunteer and open membership is open to all people, regardless of their gender or social, racial background, political affiliation, or religious. There's there isn't uh, sort of a discrimination. Uh, in the in the cooperative principles, so that's one of the reasons I like co-ops. And I was being an African American, I have experienced racism mm-hmm. uh, firsthand. So, uh, get into an organization that doesn't um, doesn't discriminate. I, I like that a lot. And then democratic member control, and you mentioned that already. It's the second principle. We have to take our second break. Okay. Uh, Margaret, we'll be we'll be right back. We'll get the weather, the news. And if anyone out there would like to have a question of Margaret or a comment, call 1-800-450-7876. We'll be right back. 1450 WOL. 
Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, Everything Cooperative. Margaret Lund is our guest this morning. I want to correct something I said earlier, Margaret. Uh, I said that I did research or with some research that I, I should say I received some research, and I give a shout-out to Pat Thornton. She's the one that does the research. So I received research from her, and one of the things that she uh, found was that uh, in, in one of your papers, you, you posed the questions, if co-ops are so great, why aren't there more of them? Right. And I would like for you to talk about that a bit because that's been a question. We've been doing this show for two and a half years, and that's a question that I used to ask. Uh, and I had it, and I'll just tell you what my first premise was, that <clears throat> the wealthy people did not want everyday people to know about co-ops because if they did – then everyday people would do co-ops and the profit would go to them and not to the folks with the money. And, and I, I said at one time on a program and I was told that I was being um, cynical. Um, I, I think that's still a part of it, but I have since learned that there are other reasons. So I'd like for you to talk about that. Why aren't there more that you're so great? Well, that's a, that is a great question. <laughs> and it, yeah, it's a question that people like, uh, like you and me ponder, um, all our lives because um, they are great. So why aren't they more? Why aren't there more? And um, so that's one of the reasons why I keep wanting to go back to these places in the world where there are a lot. So we can say, well, what do they have that we don't have? Or can we do it in our own way? And some, you know, and, um, and that's in fact, that's one of the reasons why I study Northern Italy so much because um, I've, all people that love co-ops, they all love Mondragon because that's kind of the most, pure example of, of uh, in Spain of there just being tons and tons of co-ops and it being, you know, really great. But it's a, it's in the, as you said, the Basque region, um, the people Mondragon, they're, you know, they're uh, language minorities and, um, you know, they have a very uh, tight community. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of hard to say in America. I mean, we're kind of the opposite of that. We're, we're proud of our diverse community. So we're, we don't all speak the same language and we don't all come from the same place. And so, um, so how do we do it here? That's a good question. So that's one of the reasons why I actually I like studying Northern Italy because because um, that that is a much more of an example of a cooperative region operating within a, a much larger, much more kind of capitalist um, economy. So they don't uh, they aren't they don't have uh, you know they speak the same language as everybody else. It really is something that people have decided to do a certain way in their part of the country, as opposed to you know having other reasons that they're that they're always off doing their own thing. Um, but anyway, so why aren't there more? I think a lot of it has to do, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's a little hard in America because we have such a shared um, sense of, of kind of individualness, um, you know, individual achievement. And, um, I, you know, I think that's a little bit of a cop-out because I, I think on the other hand, there are lots of examples in America of us, um, of, of us being able to do uh collective action really well. I mean, one of, um, I think the best things, I mean, if you travel other places in the world, one of the really best things about America are national parks. I mean, they're huge and they're beautiful. They're stunning and they're owned by everybody, you know, together. And, and those are obviously public holdings, but still it's some way that we say we as Americans believe that, um, you know, the best way to hold that really valuable asset is to hold it together for all of us and for next generation. And so I think we can do it in America. I think we just don't really think about, you know, in business about it. Like we think about it in other ways, but we don't think about it in business. So um, so I think we need to. Like that's one of the reasons. You know, the, the last trip I just made with um, a colleague of mine, Matt Hancock, um, we're, we're writing a book about, Northern, about the co-ops in northern Italy. 
And one of the things we really, you know, came down on is they, they, in that economy where it works really well, where they have lots of co-ops, they really have a different sense of what ownership means mm-hmm. than, than we tend to. And then I think not just we in America, but people in kind of, you know, more market capitalist investor centric economies, you know, tend to um, think about ownership. Like if I own something, it's mine and I get it and I get to extract all the value out of it because it's mine. And they really look at ownership as a stewardship they, they say that if I own, for example, a business, there's lots of worker co-ops. And, in fact, this actually happened to me at a research trip about 15 years ago to Italy. Like, so there are these workers, and they own this business, and it's, it's super successful. It's really valuable. And, you know, in America, you'd say, why don't you sell your business, right? Because then you could take all your money and go buy a big house mm-hmm. or something, right? So I asked them. I said, well, okay, so why? what keeps you guys from – selling this business because it's obviously really successful and you can make a lot of money. And they just, you know, they look at me like that's the stupidest question. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. Okay. They, never heard. Okay. And they said, well, where would my children work if I sold the business where, you know, it would go away. Where would my kids work? And that was really, you know, that really told me like how they look at ownership. They look at, I mean, certainly they own the businesses and they're absolutely the owners you know, and they make all the decisions about this business. So it's not a, you know, a fake co-op or anything. It's, it's a private enterprise that's owned by the people who work there, but they really see that ownership. They see that their responsibility certainly is to get a good living and, and everybody, I mean, you know, they have a very healthy economy. So the, people are making a good living, but they really see their, their responsibility as they're stewarding this asset, you know, at this for period the future. of time for the future and for somebody else to have a job. So they have a job now, and it's a really good job. But their their responsibility is to, you know, make sure somebody else gets a really good job too. And that I think is a really key difference in how people that are really successful in co-op economies think about ownership and the way that we tend to think about ownership. You know, um, uh, that came the first time I heard of that, and I didn't put it in the context that you're talking. But Jim Jones from NASCO, the the uh, mm-hmm. Student housing co-ops, North American student housing co-ops, was telling the story of how the students would save money for the future. They're only going to be there for a max of four years. So uh, when they put money aside to fix the roof or the windows or even to buy another house, they know they're doing it for future generation. And that's that stewardship you're talking about. And I thought that was awesome when I heard him talk about that. And that was probably two years ago, but never put it in the context of stewardship, how we are helping in keeping these assets for future generations. Right. So ownership means stewardship. It's like a responsibility. That's kind of how people think of it. Like it's just what they, what it means to them. So that's what I feel like we need in the co-op movement to be advertising this idea that, you know, that in co-ops, we, you know, we think ownership is stewardship for the future. And that that really, and that, you know, people can be proud of that. I mean, you know, the work that Jim Jones and the and the other people at um, in the student housing co-ops, I mean, if you look in America at a, you know, a sector that has uh, worked generation after generation, that's one of them. You know, they, they literally help generation after generation of students find affordable housing that's safe. And, and we as the co-op movement get a lot of good leaders out of um, that particular sector because they're, yeah. you know, they're training young people. Uh, so it's, a, it's super valuable to all of us. So well, that's what I, I think is really one of the differences. We need to think differently and talk differently about what ownership means. Well, cooperative enterprises build a better world is ICA's motto. And this is an example of if we build a better world, if we can think of ownership as stewardship and in 
preserving that ownership, those assets for future generations. So you make different decisions. They're not short-term uh, return on investment. When I got my MBA, it looks like all decisions were what gives you the shareholders the best return on investment, the shareholder model, your market sh- capitalistic shareholder model. And that always is not the best choice for our for the local community, the our national community, and definitely not necessarily the best for the world. So I like this. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so, you know, and, and that's just, we think it, you know, because we get taught, maybe you got done in school about, well, that's how you have to do it. Like, that's how economies work is, you know, there are these shareholders. But, you know, co-ops also talk a lot about stakeholders. And so if you, you know, there's no reason that you have to, manage everything on a quarterly basis. (laughs) I mean, you know, that's not like a natural law, you know, it's not gravity or something, you know, somebody decided that and we can decide something else. We could say, yeah, we, you know, I'm managing for stakeholders and my stakeholders, maybe some of them haven't been born yet, or maybe their kids that are going to have their first job. Maybe that's who my stakeholder is. And so I need to manage, you know, my enterprise for that person and for the, you know, the people after that. So I think the more we kind of like, talk about that as a alternate and 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 completely rational business like you know way to organize our economy um i think the better that is because it really it is very rational i mean it works you know it's not um you know it's not a silly system it it makes things work um so you don't have to rebuild them every you know every generation or whatever they you know you have an asset that is valuable to generations so i think that's really important you know, I think another thing that's really important that we could do better um, and that you see a lot of in these economies that, that have very successful cooperative um, sectors is they work together a lot. So they don't just think about their own members. They really think about their whole movement as something to be stewarded. So there's sort of an internal-looking orientation, but then there's also an external orientation. And so that gets to the cooperation among co-ops, which, of course, is a yeah, sixth principle. Sixth principle, yeah. right? But they really take that. Um, they take that really far, and they take it in a in a really structured way, so that um, like in in uh, northern Italy, I mean, there's just there's you know not just in fact there there were three. They just merged, but there wasn't just like one NCBA, you know, one head organization in the country. There were three different ones. There, I mean, there's so many co-ops, and they're so active that they have all of these associations of co-ops. So if you were in a housing co-op, for example, in in a city, you would be a member of your citywide housing co-op organization, your statewide housing co-op organization, and your federal housing co-op organization, and then you'd also be a member of your, like, Washington, D.C., all kind of co-op organization. And, you know, so they be they organize at all of these levels, both along sector and ge- geography, both of those things, because, you know, you kind of get different things out of out of both of those. And they look at, so it, it's kind of a little more than cooperating on co-ops is a nice thing. They actually really look um, very hard to... Um, do business together, for example, um, mm-hmm. and for ways to not just do it sort of charitably, but to say what is a what is a really strategic thing that that we could collaborate on that would be great for all of our members. And so, you know, that really makes um, it makes a big difference, and it really helps um, the you know co-op sectors with different levels of expertise help others. Like I, I remember just a couple years ago, I was in Quebec and I was working on a, a project that was studying home care co-ops. So mm-hmm. they're um, co-ops of workers that go and take care of like elderly people or disabled people in their homes. 
And um, and those co-ops in Quebec are organized. Um, they call them solidarity co-ops. They're really multi-stakeholder co-ops. So some of the members are workers, but some of the members are also what they call supporter members from the community. And so I said, well, like, who, you know, who are your supporter members? Like, who would that be that you would have in your co-op being on the board? And they say, oh, we always get somebody from the credit union because, they, you know, they'll send us somebody that's got some financial expertise and stuff. And so it was just a great example of, of the co-op sectors working together, like being on each other's boards so that the person, you know, with finance skills can be on a board of where the workers maybe don't have those skills, but then they have other skills that, you know, that can use someplace else. So I think we could do a lot better job of um, sort of, of working structurally together, having the different kinds of co-ops think about, um, you know, really good ways that we can uh, – work together and, and um, share what, you know, our expertise in different areas or our contacts in different areas. So that's something also you, you see um, and that I think we could we could do better. You see that we're in successful co-op economies and, and you see that sometimes here, but not, I don't think it's consistently. Definitely not consistently. You know, um, there are a lot of reasons why there are not more co-ops, I think, um, and you've hit on a couple of them. But there's a, another one that I found is that, um, they're hard work. They just don't happen. You have to stay at it. You have to get educated, and that's the fifth principle, education, training, and information. And some people don't want to do the work. Um, the other thing I have found out is, and I see in your reading you've talked about it, is that you said memberships attempt to hijack the co-op for their own personal or political reasons, or you get two warring factors. I found that in the housing co-ops. Oh, I manage co-ops. That's how I learned about them. I manage housing co-ops. Yeah. And I've seen where people will, what I call, they don't have integrity. They don't live to the bylaws or they will do things for themselves or for their family members or their friends that they ought to, should not do and they definitely don't do for other people. And that ends up tearing the, 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 the organization down. It eventually goes under. Um, so I, I, I would like to see, and I found this with union co-ops that the union comes in and helps oversee and make sure that things are done correctly because people do have greed and it can happen in co-ops as any uh, other organization. So you need to have the technology in place to make sure that they work. We're having, we have to take the music has come on. I'm having such a great time with you, Margaret. I forgot we have to take another break. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for all that you're sharing and that I'm learning and we'll be right back. Uh, please do not touch that dial. We'll be right back for our last segment. Fourteen fifty WOL. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, Everything Cooperative. Margaret Lund is our guest today, and she's given me a lot of information. I'm learning a lot. I love that. Uh, Margaret, in, in the research that Pat did, we, you talk about peer advisory and a peer, this sort of peer training is, is one of the reasons that co-ops work. Can you tell us about that? Sure. I mean, that, you know, that just starts from an, an observation I had early in my career when I was um, being a small business lender and, and going out to small food co-ops often in rural areas so they'd um they'd be out by themselves like there wouldn't be a lot of other co-ops like them around them you know and i would look at their financial statements and i you know i might say oh i really think you should do this or that <laughs> and nobody would pay any attention to me at all um mm -hmm. but if 
if I said, why don't you call, you know, this other food co-op that's like yours? They do really well at this thing. Maybe you should call them and see how they do it. And um, that was much more successful. So, uh, and I think that that's really natural. I don't think that's just food co-op managers. I think I think everybody, um, people really learn a lot better from, and, and about many different things from peers. So they want to look at something or someone that's been in their same situation that understands where they're coming from. And then they see that person being successful, and then they say to themselves, maybe I could be successful too. You know, so you turn off the complaining about, like, this will never work, and you think, well, they could do it, but maybe I could do it. So, um, so I love peer, you know, peer training in lots of ways. Um, I, I just think it makes sense for people. So, and even on some of the things you were talking about, when co-ops go rogue, when they go bad, somebody, you know, they're just out there for their own, kind of taking advantage of a loose situation for their own gain or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the way that at least, I mean, on one hand, people can be people and you'll always have greedy people and you can't um, really screen for them necessarily. <laughs> you only find it out when it happens, yes. Yeah, although I guess you can do some, you know, some good screening. But one of the things that really, like lots and lots of people um, react to peer pressure. And so if you create a situation where it's clear and and it's above board that everybody's doing the right thing, then people get more embarrassed about doing the wrong thing. And that's also, I think, an important kind of of peer um, education that we could do a lot more in the co-op. So part of it is is peer education and sort of problem solving. But part of it, I think, is also just um, like, I think co-ops are more successful when they aren't you know, off by themselves, then they become much more susceptible to some rogue board member kind of doing the wrong thing. If they're if they're meeting together all the time, if people on a board have um, exposure to to lots of board members of really functional co-ops, mm-hmm. you know that makes them think, well, we could be like that. You know, we don't have to be that. You know, <laughs> we can be like those guys that are super successful. So. Um, so I think that's something that, that we can do a lot better is this idea. Um, and that's actually one of the reasons, too, why I kind of like this idea in Quebec that they have, um, that, you know, they aren't majority members or anything, but they have some other co-op people on the boards of other co-ops. So that's just another way to have somebody sitting at that meeting and saying, well, you know, I have exposure to a whole different sector where we do governance in this way. And, it, you know, it works really well. And I think it helps, um, you know, it kind of create that that discipline that that makes a good co-op kind of a discipline of how you um, operate without you know reference to uh, a particular person, so they don't get something just because they're on the board. You know that there's a rule and a policy about um, how different you know, and that that's an equal, equitable policy. Yeah, so I think there's lots of ways that I mean, it's you know, and nothing's magic. Like everything's a combination of things, but. Um, but I think the more that we're kind of, uh, you know, clear and transparent and the more that we encourage good practice um, for everybody and that that becomes something everybody knows so they know their peers are all behaving right on their board, so I better behave right on my board too, you know, that that makes people feel, you know, feel guilty. But also just have an example of good, of what it means. Like, what am I supposed to do as the board president? And then, you know, if they have a friend or they have regular meetings with other board presidents and then, you know, then they figure out, okay, like I, I should be like that person or I wish my co-op was like that. How could I make that happen in my world, in my neighborhood or my housing co-op or whatever? Well, the Potomac Association of Housing Co-ops is a local group, handles D.C., Maryland, Virginia, are having their 40th annual meeting in Norfolk, Virginia, April 28th through the 30th. Uh, And 
their motto is a, a celebration of 40 years of educating members. And what I like when I go to these kinds of events is you see peers teaching peers. So mm-hmm. You, you get presidents together or treasurers together, and how do you solve this problem? How do you solve that problem? And a lot of the training happens in the hallways, not where people are talking to each other or at the lunches. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they can have these conversations. But I think it would be great if we would have this peer overseeing kind of a thing, if you had some kind of way of having a group where I don't know, all of the housing co-ops in D.C. belongs to, and they kind of look over each other and advise each other. I think that would do great to help to weed out to make sure that this kind of um, oh greediness doesn't happen. Uh, if you have things in place where people see that they can't do it because people are going to be watching them, uh, particularly with peers, then I think that could be very helpful. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Yeah, I, I do too. You know, and also setting positive things like this, you know, this club does great at this, you know. Yes. <laughs> and then you're like, I want to be like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Speaking about history, I met you uh, talking about Jessica Gordon Nimhard. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she's uh, inducted into the Co op Hall of Fame. And that's in May, that dinner. You know that? So super excited about that. Speaking of, uh, you know, women's history, we were a little remiss um, in our Co-op Hall of Fame and not having that many women or African-Americans. I mean, certainly not, you know, the number that, that deserve to be there through their, their efforts and their leadership. So um, I'm just super excited that, that uh, we'll be inducting Jessica Gordon-Nemhart. I just think her, you know, her research about, about um, African-American cooperatives in America is just, um, I think it's just mind blowing. I mean, I, it's something we didn't know <laughs> about our own co-op history, and now we do because she's she's helped us know that. And I I just think that's so important. Well, I, I, what's amazing when I've talked with her, I had the opportunity to talk with her. She said that when she started the research some 15 years ago, that uh, she was told and believed there wasn't that much history uh, because there wasn't that much history known. So. Um, by doing the research, uh, she has uh, uncovered a tremendous amount of history of co-ops in the African-American community and the African-American experience. Um, so, yeah, I, if you to get more information about it, you could go to um, www.heroes.coop, and uh, you can get more information about Jessica, and you could find ways if you wanted to donate uh to her induction into the Co-op Hall of Fame, you can find ways on that program. You could give anywhere from a dollar to ten thousand dollars, and in the different ways, or or even, or even more if you want to. Uh, but uh, Margaret, I'm I'm so glad that you uh, wrote the piece that got her inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, I was proud and happy to do it. It was uh, <laughs> there was just so much to say. How how in your in your career did you all cross paths? Oh, you know, that's a good question. I'm not even sure. I mean, I've been a member of ACE, which is the Association of Cooperative Educators, for a number of years. Um, I think we just crossed paths, Jessica and, and uh, I, because, we, you know, we both, um, she was she was really instrumental in helping the, the National Worker Co-op. Um, <clears throat> I saw you, saw you had Esteban on the show. Um, so his organization, the founding, and, I, you know, I've been quite active in that organization as it was starting up as well, helping out, I mean, in whatever way they needed help. So I think I think we've just sort of, um, you know, crossed paths by, by having kind of similar values and, and trying to, you know, do work that, that's related. 
Well, you get you get a chance to meet a lot of good people in this world. And one of the other things I've found out when I've talked to people, everybody, on, let me just ask you this question. Do you like your work? I, I do um, like my work. And I, I like the people that <laughs> do my work like you and, and Jessica. That's one of my favorite things, actually, is... Um, is, you know, you just come across these amazing people in all kinds of situations. Um, you know, you mentioned Pop Sun. I mean, he's he's just an amazing guy. You just happen upon him in uh, West Africa, and he's just doing amazing things with co-ops. And that's what's super fun, I think, about, about working. Is I just think people are amazing, and they're just really trying to do really good things for their communities. And um, I find that very inspiring. I'm, I'm inspired every day by lots of... Uh, people and organizations that I work with. So you're inspired by people that you meet that are doing great things. And I would suggest that you might also be inspired about the great things that you're doing. (laughs) Maybe so. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing now? We've got two more minutes. I want to see what you're doing and what get the last minute to tell people here what you want them to hear the last. Okay. So, um, well, I've been talking a lot about Northern Italy, so I'm working on this book with a writing partner. It's a labor of love, and I'll come on your show again if you invite me once we get it done, which we will. probably won't be for a year or something. But um, I'm trying to work a lot more on things like writing, I mean, and writing ideas and histories and helping in- inspire people with stories about um, others. So I'm, I'm working on that. I'm working on another um, writing project. Yeah, I'm, I'm I do, you know, I've got kind of a restless uh, intellect. I, I do a lot of different things, so uh, which I, which I enjoy a lot um, working with. Uh, I'm doing a lot of work right now with um, immigrant organizations that mm. are working on co-op projects. So that's super fun. Well, also. let me. I, I wanted to get this quick question in one minute. If I have somebody that has a hundred thousand dollars, what would you suggest that they would invest it in for co-ops? And we only have thirty seconds. <laughs> oh, that is a great question. I would invest it myself mm-hmm. um, into worker-owned co-ops because I, I think they have a really deep impact. Through the U.S. Federation of Worker Co-ops? Um, yeah, yeah, or through, right, or, you know, the working world is a, a loan fund that's, that's making loans. Yeah, I mean, one of those places. I mean, those guys are all friends, you know. Working world. Tell them, tell them to figure out where to put it. Okay. <laughs> or the ICA group is one of my favorite technical assistance organizations in this field that, you know, that, that works with really effective business practices and worker ownership. So, Thank yeah. you. Lots thank you, people. Margaret. Sure. Everybody, we'll see you next Thursday okay, with everything cooperative. Me. All right. Okay. And we'll have you back on in a year. Right. <laughs> okay. Bye, everybody. Have a great week. 1450 WOL.